Lord from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, was, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Wendy. Well, I would not consider myself a fan of jazz music, but I'm not against jazz music. <clears throat> I have nothing against jazz music. Um, but if I were to sit here and tell you that I knew all about jazz music, I would make a fool of myself. Um, so if you want to learn more about jazz music, you can go talk to Lem. Pretty sure Lem loves jazz music. Lem. Lem gets jazzed up. <coughs> there is one jazz album that I love. It is 41 minutes and 23 seconds of pure bliss. And that is by a man, an Italian-American man just like myself, named Vince Guaraldi. Yes, you already know where I'm going with this. Charlie Brown Christmas album <laughs> is the best jazz album of all time. I have great memories growing up of listening to this album and so many other types of music with my dad. Um, he would drive me to school every day and then pick me up and drive me home every day. And so from that like 10 to 15 minute drive, we would just listen to albums, uh, go through albums a week. Um, and it's one of the fondest memories I have with my dad growing up. Around this time, we would put on Vince Guaraldi's A Charlie Brown Christmas Album and that would be the main thing that we'd listen to for about a month and a half on the way to school and on the way back from school. If I told you that it was a jazz album, a lot of you kind of laughed when I said that it was this Christmas album. If I told you it was just a jazz album, you would be like, wait a second, <laughs> that's a Christmas album. But it's not less than a jazz album. Uh, he's a jazz piano player. Uh, he incorporates a lot of Christmas elements. There's Christmas carols in it. Uh, there's also even Beethoven in it, that one song that I can't pronounce, like Fuhrer Elise or something like that. It's one of the most beautiful songs of all time, and it's on this jazz Christmas album. 
If I were to tell you that it's just a jazz album, it would be uh, not doing it justice. <clears throat> You'd be missing the whole beauty of it if I said it was just a jazz album or just a Christmas album or just uh, Beethoven's best hits. I think that we approach God's renewal and salvation in a similar way. I think that we only pinpoint one aspect of it and we minimize God's wide-scale renewal and salvation. Uh, if you were paying attention to what Wendy was reading, thank you for reading, Wendy, uh, you might have noticed this verse 10 that says, so, through, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known now to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Yikes. Um, as I was preparing for this, I couldn't stop asking questions about this verse. And people I talked to, I talked to Jordan Tabor about this, and he was like, don't do it. Don't talk about this verse. Go talk about the other stuff that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Jordan wasn't the only one, but uh, here we are. We're going to talk about verse 10 a lot today. Um, I want to take verse 10 in three sections. And I want to appreciate it in a way that maybe many of us haven't before. I know I haven't appreciated it before. Um, because when we read the Bible, and maybe we're not reading slowly, it's easy to just zoom right past the things that we don't understand. And I'm afraid that this is one of the verses that we do that with. So what I want to do today is I want to take verse 10 like a nice gem, and I want to turn it around and appreciate the different parts that it has. We're not going to cover all the sides. We're not going to get to inspect every detail with a, a magnifying glass. But I just want to point out a couple things that this verse is telling us. And I think the big idea that Paul is trying to lead us towards is that being in Christ means that we can partake in God's multidirectional and diverse renewal. Being in Christ means that we can partake in God's multidirectional and diverse renewal. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, being with us, and thank you for making all things new. Um, even when we uh, don't recognize all these, these avenues and ways that you make all things new, but you do. And so we're thankful for that, and we ask humbly that you would help us to see that, just even a little glimpse of how you're making all things new a little bit more today. Amen. Um, by the end of this, you're going to get sick of me reading verse 10. So let's just start reading it again right now. Uh, <clears throat> and it says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This manifold wisdom that is being made known. Uh, if you look back into verse 3 and then verse 6, Paul talks about this mystery and it seems, a lot of people agree on this, that there's this correlation between the mystery and God's manifold wisdom. Thankfully, Paul decided he wanted to define his terms. And so instead of just leaving us with, oh, what's the mystery? In verse 6, he tells us, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I'm very thankful that Paul answered this because uh, there are a lot of questions, there's more questions than answers in uh, the verse that we're talking about today. And so I'm glad that at least Paul cleared one thing up. Um, but this is what Josh talked about last week, that Jews and Gentiles, not just Jews, are co-heirs of this inheritance that God has for us. 
Jews and Gentiles are now in Christ together. This is something that was previously unknown to many people. It was just known to God. And then throughout time, God has been revealing it to different people, including now in this passage. He's revealing it to Paul, who's then revealing it to others. Think about how weird this must have been for Paul. (laughs) This is a guy who spent a large portion of his life being like the Jew, like the Jew of all Jews, being the one who is spending his life like trying to maintain the purity of Judaism and get rid of this Christian way. And now all of a sudden, he is preaching that Gentiles are actually not just allowed to look or allowed to find out, but they're allowed to partake in this inheritance. There's some great uh, and crazy change that has happened inside of Paul. We don't have time to get into it all today, but I wanted to make that note. When we're talking about manifold, it's not a word that we use often. Uh, It's I think we have better, like, more colloquial terms today, but it's an important word for this passage, so we're going to go with it. Um, But this is something beyond what we know and understand. One person said it like this, that manifold means literally many-sided, many-colored, or comprehensive. In this case, of much more intricate design than humans can appreciate. This is talking about God's wisdom. God is comprehensive in his wisdom. Wisdom here is representing God's work because it is enlightening the mystery of God's work. And so wisdom and God's work go hand in hand. And so Paul is trying to communicate that God's work is manifold. God has this manifold work. It's intricate. It's many-colored. It's many-sided. It goes in many directions. God's work is multifaceted way more than we could be, like way more beyond than we can imagine or appreciate. God's renewal is multidirectional. Have you ever seen a kaleidoscope before? You kind of look inside of it and you turn it and there's all these different colors, there's different shapes. When you turn it, it like goes in different directions weirdly. Like how does that happen? It changes, it's dynamic. Or uh, a Rubik's Cube, I'm a teacher, and like, there's this faction of students who love Rubik's Cubes and try to solve like, one in each hand in under 30 seconds. It's, it's ridiculous. But some of them have these Rubik's Cubes that aren't cubes. They're like whatever 10-sided objects are, and it's like the shape of like 10 sided And so it just goes in all these different directions, these different colors. This is kind of what I was thinking about when I was thinking about God's work being multicolored, multifaceted. It's just, it's all over the place, and not in a bad way. <laughs> I think this is how God works. God works in many different ways. <laughs> to highlight this, or to kind of uh, sink our teeth into this, I wanted to uh, communicate this uh, way of thinking about God's renewal and really the brokenness in the world that people, some scholars, some social commentators or cultural commentators have pointed out that there's four primary relationships of brokenness in the world. And we'll call these the four avenues of brokenness and then in turn the positive spin, the four avenues of renewal. First, in this one, this will help you understand it. We understand this. It's brokenness between God and humans. There's this brokenness that we have. There's something wrong uh, with Uh, our relationship with God. To highlight this and the rest of them, I want to remind you of Genesis 3. So remember with me, the garden and what's called the fall. 
There's a brokenness between God and Adam and Eve. The serpent tells Eve, hey, you are going to be like God. He doesn't want you to be like him, but if you eat this fruit, you are going to be like God. So she and Adam eat the fruit. And then what happens when they see God? They hide. (laughs) There's a sever in their relationship with God. These next three, I think, are less comfortable for us. We're less used to them. But the second broken relationship is brokenness within ourselves. We have brokenness with God and brokenness with ourselves. A couple scholars like to call this the cracked icon or the cracked image bearers. So we are image bearers. That hasn't been taken away from us. But our ability to image God is cracked, like a cracked mirror. This brokenness in self means that we are unable to live as we're created. We have inner brokenness and then outer chaos, this outer inability to live as God would have us. Third one, and maybe this one hits home the closest, is brokenness of human relationships. Brokenness that we have with each other. So we have us with God, us with ourselves, and us with each other. You see this in the garden too. Adam After he ate the fruit, God was like, hey, why did you do this? And he's like, it was her. It was that lady that you gave me. There's brokenness between humans. Jesus talked about this a lot. We've talked about this a lot in the Joseph series that we talked about. But Jesus talked about, like, principles of forgiveness and, like, non-retaliation. Things that most people would find to be crazy and really hard to do. And finally, there's brokenness in the physical world and even our relationship with the physical world. In the garden, God called the ground cursed. There's something wrong with the physical world. There's illness, there's natural disasters, there's corrupt systems that we've created. Something is wrong. The natural world, think about this, when you, a hurricane, a tornado, whatever, an illness, the natural world is turning on itself It's chaos, and it's representing these other relationships that we have and what we do with ourselves and with others and with God. If these are all areas of brokenness and all the result of sinfulness in our world, shouldn't our understanding of renewal and salvation incorporate the renewal of these things in it? Is God making all things new? Or is he just making some things new? How do you think about this multi-directional renewal? Do you think about it? When you talk about salvation or think about salvation, are you considering that God is saying, I'm going to make all four of these categories new? We've talked in this series about how salvation does not equal forgiveness plus heaven. And I think that this series has done a good job of highlighting our own renewal and our renewal with God. But I would also argue that salvation is not forgiveness plus heaven plus relationship with God. It's actually more than that. If we're believing that the world is broken in all four of these categories, then it has to be more than that. God's renewal, this is what brings us to this, God's renewal is diverse. God's renewal is diverse. And I want to define, for the purposes here, I want to define diverse just for now as something different or other from our experience or understanding. 
something that is outside of our experience and our understanding. God's renewal is diverse. Could there be part of God's renewal that you have missed just because of who you are? Just because of the cards you've been dealt? Just because of the life that you live? Nothing against you, but could there be something that we have missed? Are there aspects that we might not understand? Now that makes us uncomfortable, that we may not understand that. Let's read verse 10 again. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. <clears throat> this is really confusing. And this would be confusing, thanks Paul, if he didn't even include in the heavenly places or heavenly realms. But he was just like, let's just throw it in. That sounds good. And it's really confusing when we add that. <laughs> I don't necessarily understand this. And I don't think that many of us do. And that's okay. I want to recap the heavenly realms or heavenly places real quick. We've talked about it throughout this series, and there's a couple places in the New Testament that uh, give us a little bit clearer of a picture of what on earth this is talking about. First, the heavenly realms is a present experience for us, something that we presently experience. It's this reality that we are experiencing now, whether we realize it or not, whether we want to or not, we are. It's just how it is. Ephesians 2 uh, says that like God has brought us up to the heavenly realms. We are in the heavenly realms with God. The heavenly realms has these powers that are kind of beyond our comprehension. These manifold powers, if you will. <clears throat> Colossians 1 says that there's visible and invisible thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, dominions. It's not just talking about what we See, it's not just talking about the national governments that we have, but these invisible powers and thrones. Some work for good, some don't. Some work against us in the world. Many of them do. Ephesians 6 says that the battle is against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These powers <coughs> intend to steal kill and destroy and divide and degrade and so on and so on and so on. While it can be difficult to understand these powers, they are there. We have had to reckon with that this, uh, during this series. But what Paul is saying, that something is being made known to these powers, is that God has actually defeated the powers that's, that's the good news, that God has defeated evil. God has defeated the powers. <clears throat> and Paul, and we're going to touch on this more in a second, but Paul is saying that the church is the presentation of that defeat, which is really interesting. We don't think about this much because we don't understand it much. But just because we don't understand something or we don't experience it does not make it untrue. There are things outside of our experience outside of our time and our space, that are true, even though we don't experience it. Leah, my wife, and I are students at Gordon-Conwell. It's a school in town. Love it. We've got a couple grads here. I have really appreciated the diverse experience I've had at Gordon-Conwell. I think it has changed me forever and for the better. 
I'll let you be the judge of that, though. There are people from all over the world, people from all different church traditions. Like, I'm sitting in a class, and I've been on a Zoom call with somebody who's currently in South Korea, somebody who's in Australia, and somebody who's in, like, Azerbaijan. And I'm sitting <laughs> in Matthews, North Carolina. And I'm sitting with people who are all across uh, the spectrum on uh, church, like what church they're from and what church they've grown up in, what tradition they've been part of. We've been assigned uh, different projects and assignments to go to food pantries or homeless shelters or different religious experiences, whether Christian or non-Christian. Last weekend, Leah went to uh, a Jewish service on Saturday. She loved it. (laughs) We've been exposed to things that are other, different than our experience and our understanding. And there's two stories, I'll tell briefly, that pertain to salvation, God's renewal, that have stood out to me since being at Gordon-Cottonwell. One, I've been able to talk to some leaders, some leaders in the black church in America, and how they understand renewal and salvation is profoundly different than how we talk about salvation and renewal. These friends that I've listened to look at renewal, salvation, as deliverance or liberation or freedom from oppression, oftentimes an oppressive government. But we don't like to talk about that. That's one view that somebody has. Another view that somebody has, that I ran across, and mind you, these make me uncomfortable too, but one person I was talking to views salvation through a different lens. He said that he has watched his dad die and come back to life several times. This is salvation. It's very physical to him. Now, I know what we do with stories like this because I do this to stories like this. I say, that's not true. (laughs) That's not right. That's not how it is. That's not reality. And I think it's easy for us to sit here outside of those times and places, outside of those experiences, and say that is wrong, and explain it away, and give a different answer. But I think when we do that, we are missing out on the diverse work of God. When we completely write off somebody else's understanding or experience, we are missing multiple dimensions of what God could be doing, just in the name of knowing everything or or being right. And so as I have been preparing this week, I kept thinking about these stories. And I'm like literally working through all this stuff right now. Of like, I remember thinking that that professor was crazy telling me his dad rose from the dead. But I want to be open to hearing other perspectives on renewal and salvation. And so I'm having to work through this myself. <clears throat> what may this call us to consider about God's renewal? Could it be that there's more to it than we realize? Think about all the different types of people that you experience or you don't come into contact with at all. There's Americans, non-Americans, there's wealthy, there's needy. There's people that look like you, people that don't look like you, old, young, so many different types of people. Try to picture somebody. Picture one person that's very different than you. What may renewal or what may salvation look like for them? It may be quite different than your experience. 
Could it go beyond them just recognizing sinfulness? Is there something tangible that they would attach to God's salvation? Again, this makes us uncomfortable. There's a song that I've really come to love called Father, Let Your Kingdom Come. And there's this line in this that has always stuck out with me. I say always. I heard it like three weeks ago for the first time. (laughs) But it says, You make all things new in places we don't choose. What does renewal and salvation look like in the place that you wouldn't choose? You being who you are, you living the life, having the upbringing that you have, means that you haven't experienced all of God's renewal and salvation. Nobody has, because <laughs> it's diverse, it's multidirectional. This, isn't, this shouldn't scare us, this isn't bad. This is actually beautiful, because people, all of us are, even in this room, are in tons of different places, and we have tons of different needs, and that's just in a room of people that relatively are similar to each other. Think about the grand scale of all of humanity. There's infinite amount of people in infinite places that have an infinite, infinite needs. And God meets all of us where we are at. That is a beautiful thing. That's not something that we should be threatened by. The mystery that Paul is talking about isn't that God saves people, but it's that God saves different people with and to each other. God's renewal is presented in the church. God's renewal is presented in this multidirectional and diverse church. We're going to read verse 10 one last time. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church. Hopefully you're catching this now. That the church is the way that God communicates to the powers that he has won. These rulers and authorities have this thing that's communicated to them, and it's the church, and God is saying, I've won. How is this? Josh highlighted last week uh, that fighting off disunity is not just important, but is necessary in the church. We must do it. This is not just the result of God's renewal, but it is God's actual renewal. It's not just a nice side effect that we have when we get to come together in Kumbaya, but this is something worth fighting for because we are partakers and enactors of God's renewal. God looks at these powers that have divided and destroyed, and that's their intent, and he presents us, this unified body, says, you meant to divide, I'm undividing them, I'm bringing them back together. And in doing that, God renders the powers powerless. The powers don't have the powers to divide if we are undivided. Jew and Gentile together, whatever uh, crazy enemies brought back together, the powers are powerless. Do you see this? God has taken the powers from the powers. He is the ultimate ruler. The church is not just a symbol of God's power and victory, but it is God's victory enacted. It is God's renewal enacted. 
if God has defeated the powers and is bringing this multi-directional, diverse renewal, then we don't have to be afraid of the diversity. We don't have to be afraid that God saves not just me, but saves in many different ways. We can actually embrace it. <clears throat> I want to close here. A few, a few weeks ago, I got the chance to be at uh, our network, Harbor, Conferences, or Harbor Networks Conference. And there was a lady who was speaking named Hannah Anderson. Some of you are familiar with her and her work. She's an author and a speaker. She was telling this story. She was talking about, overall, she was talking about how we can um, basically help build the church, grow the church, while appreciating many different parts of the body, but being unified while doing that. So she was holding intention, creativity, and uniqueness while also having unity over here. And she was telling this story that has kind of stuck with me from uh, rural Virginia, where she's from, um, and back, like, in the day, before cars, not the movie, but the, the actual cars that we drive, uh, they, uh, were, they had, like, a church building project, essentially. And it's not like, hey, let's get all of our money, let's build the church. But it was bring the materials to build the church. This is, like, a wild idea to me because I've always been in really nice insulated buildings not made out of brick and stone and those kind of things. But she was talking about that and she showed a picture of this, but this church that was built was absolutely beautiful. Everybody brought their own stones. They built this church building together, and you know what it wasn't? Uniform, but it was beautiful. There were some stones that were big, some that were small, some smooth, some hard, some bright, some dark, but everybody came together with these differences of stone and built the physical church building. <clears throat> and I think that we're invited to do the same thing, not to get rid of Socrates' building and build our own building, but to bring our different, our diverse backgrounds, our diverse understandings and experiences with God's renewal and build something together. It's not uniform, but it's beautiful. This is like God's renewal of all things, isn't it? God defeating these powers invites us into his renewal right now. Our participation in this multidirectional and diverse renewal begins with becoming more aware of how others may experience God's renewal and salvation. So I wonder, who is it, maybe in this room, maybe outside of this room, who you could talk to? And just try to understand what it would look like for God to bring renewal to them or understand how God ha has brought renewal to them. Who's different than you that you could ask questions of this about? <clears throat> Remember how much I love Vince Guaraldi's Christmas album. I can talk about it for probably hours. What if I invited one of you to listen to it with me? See what you appreciated. See what I missed. See what stories you had about your parents with it. What categories may I be completely unaware of? I think the church gives us the same opportunity to do this. Because being in Christ means that we can partake in God's renewal that's diverse and multidirectional. Let's pray. Father, thank you for 
truly making all things new, not some things new, but all things. Thank you for how you challenge us and how you confront our small views of your salvation and your renewal. And we ask that you would help expand our views and appreciate how, God, you will meet us in different places and how you'll meet everybody else in the place that they're in. Amen.